Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 52 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a discussion of the False Claims Act and healthcare fraud. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Let me take a moment uh, just to give a plug for the Volkoff Law Group's Healthcare Ethics and Compliance Services. Uh, my law firm offers a variety of legal compliance services to the healthcare industry. We help healthcare providers such as hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, and hospice care providers to build an ethics and compliance program that is effective and that will meet or exceed the expectations of regulators, investors, and other key st- stakeholders. If interested in discussing possible services and how we can help your organization, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com or call me at 240-505-1992. Well, I'm glad to finally uh, spend a little time on the False Claims Act, and I always say that uh, there's sort of an obsession with the FCPA and uh, sanctions enforcement and AML-type enforcement cases. And what doesn't get enough attention is uh, the risk of False Claims Act uh, and the related statutes in the healthcare industry of the anti-kickback and Stark law. Um, the risks are just uh, huge and uh, you know complicated uh, domestically uh, as well as internationally for FCPA purposes, but primarily the domestic market here is very difficult in terms of potential whistleblower claims and uh, the difficulty that uh, companies face in responding to those. And they usually uh, end up settling them or in uh, the uh, avoid sort of uh, challenging and litigation uh, in these types of uh, matters. So we spend a lot of time focusing on FCPA, UK Bribery Act, and sanctions and enforcement. And, and there's no doubt that those are important, but if you're involved in the healthcare industry, to me, the risk of the False Claims Act, the anti-kickback, the Stark Law, and related issues present a significant risk, and I would argue an even greater risk for healthcare companies uh, here operating in the United States. And consider, you know, each year it's almost a standard uh, course now that the federal government recovers over $2 billion from healthcare companies, government contractors in the defense industry primarily, and financial institutions in False Claims Act uh, prosecutions. Like the FCPA, government prosecutors hold extraordinary advantages over healthcare companies, including pro-government statutes and procedures, and the threat of exclusion of a healthcare company from federal healthcare programs meaning the ability to cut off Medicare and Medicaid payments to um, to particular uh, entities. Now, the new administration has continued uh, health care fraud uh, enforcement at a steady rate and added opioid enforcement to its list of priorities. More prosecutors have been assigned to health care fraud, and the Department of Health and Human Services uh, Office of Inspector General maintains a robust civil enforcement staff and effort. For the foreseeable future, healthcare fraud will continue to be a high priority enforcement area. 
Now, there have been two significant developments that I really want to talk back talk about, and these relate to cutting back on the enforcement growth of the False Claims Act. The first was the Supreme Court's decision in 2016 in Universal Health Services versus United States XL uh, Escobar, called the Escobar case. And in the Escobar case, the Supreme Court ruled that a false the false certification theory of liability required that a claim, quote, does not merely request payment, but also make specific representation about the goods or services provided and the defendant's failure to disclose material statutory, regulatory, or contractual requirements makes those representations misleading half-truths. So there's a materiality um, threshold here that, uh, in, a, in applying the standard, the Supreme Court uh, directed lower courts to apply a rigorous and demanding materiality standard, suggesting that plaintiffs have to show that the government would have refused to pay if it knew of the alleged misrepresentations. Now, to state the obvious, this is a landmark, Escobar is a landmark case in False Claims Act litigation. Uh, the lower courts so far have been struggling with applying Escobar and drawing sort of fair and practical lines. Of course, the decisions are fact-based, hard to categorize into general principles. One case you all should look at is, uh, an, is a Florida case out of the Middle District of Florida in 2018, which is uh, USXREL RUCK, R-U-C-K-H, versus CMC, LLC. There, a trial court vacated a nearly $350 million False Claims Act verdict against a group of nursing home operators, emphasizing the Escobar standard for rigorous and demanding materiality and scienter requirements. The nursing homes failed to maintain a comprehensive care plan required by Medicaid regulations and submitted defective paperwork, which showed the defendants never provided the therapy that they were billing to Medicare. The lower court there ruled that the plaintiffs did not offer any evidence of materiality and specifically noted that such a showing that the defendant's noncompliance materially and adversely affected the government's willingness to pay reimbursement for the services. The trial court stated that it was the plaintiff's burden to establish materiality and that had the government known, it would have refused to pay. And that's the really hard part of this that the analysis is that you have, the burden is that you have to show that had the government known about the misrepresentation, it would have refused to pay. And there are many cases where the government, even though there's a, a false certification or some falseness in the, in the paperwork, would nonetheless pay. In fact, the lower court in this case noted that the government knew about the deficiencies but continued to pay the claims. So the lower courts uh, sort of applying Escobar have been struggling with this line of thinking um, relating to the plaintiff's burden to demonstrate materiality and the issue of government knowledge of noncompliance with regulatory or contractual requirements. Um, whether the Supreme Court intended this result, it has developed into a controversy legally and politically. So interestingly, there's been a, a recent development where the Supreme Court sought the Solicitor, Ge Solicitor General's views on a petition for certiorari filed in United States v. Uh, X-Rail Campy, C-A-M-P-I-E, versus Gilead Science, Sciences, Inc., 
Uh, and the case presents an opportunity for the Supreme Court to address the interplay of the government knowledge and materiality requirement. So it's obvious that there's some concern that the Supreme Court is finding that uh, its decision either is being a, in Escobar is either not what it intended or that somehow the lower courts are, are struggling too much with it or need more guidance. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens. The, so that's the first big development that sort of cuts back against F, uh, FCA enforcement. The second significant development was the Justice Department's adoption of a new policy regarding filings in False Claims Act cases. Almost all False Claims Act cases are initiated by a third-party whistleblower or relator who brings the case on behalf of the United States in the hopes of earning a financial reward. So the relator files his or her initial complaint under seal, and the U.S. theoretically or um, by statute has 60 days in which it can review the case and decide whether to intervene in the case on behalf of the relator. In other words, to support the case. And then if they do intervene, in 99.9% .9 of the cases are resolved. Um, so the Justice Department's position on a case can either make or break the case. Um, and it's usually extended from the 60 days. Uh, they usually get extensions from the court to you know, consider the intervention uh, decision. So under a new policy, though, the Justice Department is authorized to file uh, against an against a particular relator's case and even seek dismissal of the case if appropriate. This new policy may have significant ramifications I mean, we, to FCA filings and suggests that the U.S. may intervene in practice on the side of the defendants. Uh, and it's interesting, this is an interesting twist and we'll have to see how many cases they actually do this in and uh, where, you know, how significant this, this uh uh, this sort of trend uh, grows into. Well, let's uh, turn now to uh, some interesting trends in healthcare enforcement. And, you know, despite the impact of the S and the controversy surrounding the Escobar decision, um, the Justice Department's False Claims Act prosecutions and settlements, like I said, are continuing at a consistent rate and they're heading towards another, you know, over $2 billion a year for recoveries. Um, some examples of these prosecutions and settlements will demonstrate my overall point uh, that FCA risks are significant and healthcare providers, especially hospitals, have to devote time and attention to oversight and auditing their internal financial controls and government reimbursement uh, submissions. So the first case uh, that occurred in 2018 that I want to talk about is Prime Healthcare Services. Uh, and its CEO recently agreed to pay $65 million to settle allegations the hospitals unnecessarily admitted Medicare patients and falsely billed the Medicare program. Interestingly, the CEO is required to pay $3.25 million of the $65 million settlement. Um, this may be a reflection of the Yates Memorandum, uh, which applies in civil and criminal contexts, uh, and obviously they have a CEO that can pay it. Uh, Prime Healthcare Services also agreed to a five-year corporate uh, integrity. The government's uh, allegations uh, focused on 2006 to 2013, where Prime unnecessarily admitted Medicare patients who had shown up at the emergency rooms of several hospitals 
rather than admit them through outpatient services, which was the proper way for them to go. According to the government, Dr. Reddy, the, C, uh, the CEO, specifically pressured physicians to admit the Medicare patients and monitored whether hospitals were meeting a company quota for inpatient admissions. Uh, whenever you see a quota like that, you know you're going to get into trouble uh, under the False Claims Act. Next case, Signature Healthcare uh, in Kentucky. A Kentucky-based company agreed to pay $30 million for False Claims Act violations by submitting false claims to Medicare for rehabilitation therapy services and forged pre-admission certifications of patient need for skilled nursing to Tennessee's Medicaid program. Signature uh, presumptively placed patients in the highest therapy uh, reimbursement level rather than relying on individualized evaluations to determine the proper level of care. They provided uh, the minimum number of minutes required to bill at a given reimbursement level and pressured therapists and patients to complete the planned minutes of therapy even when patients uh, were sick or declined to participate in the therapy. Next case was Sightline Health, which agreed to pay $11.5 million for submitting false claims to the Medicare program that violated the anti-kickback statute. Sightline targeted physicians to refer patients to its cancer treatment centers and paid those physicians a share of its profits under an investment arrangement that was set up to provide compensation to physicians for such referrals. Specifically, Sightline set up a string of leasing companies in which referring companies were permitted to invest and through which Sightline distributed the profits that its physician investors generated by referring cancer patients for radiation therapy. Interestingly, interesting how they used uh, the leasing companies as a way to sort of funnel uh, the illegal proceeds here and the illegal payments uh, and the bribes. And again, we see, uh, you know, creativity uh, in this context, as well as the FCPA context. Uh, UPMC uh, Hammett, uh, a hospital based in Erie, Pennsylvania, and Medicare Associates, a regional cardiology practice, uh, agreed to pay $20.75 million uh, to settle False Claims Act violations for violations of the anti-kickback statute and the physician self-referral law, otherwise known as the Stark Law, uh, and uh, Hammett paid Medicare, Medicore up to $2 million per year under 12 uh, physician and administrative services contracts to secure Medicore patient referrals. Hammett had no legitimate need for Medicore's services, and the payments were made to compensate Medicore for patient referrals. One last case, uh, Alir uh, agreed to pay $33.2 million to resolve False Claims Act allegations caused by hospitals submitting false claims to Medicare, Medicaid, and federal health care programs by selling materially unreliable point-of-care diagnostic testing devices. For medical device firms, this is a warning shot. In other words, if you get, if you get customer complaints, uh, that your that your medical device is not working or is in, uh, has some defect deficiencies, you've got to be careful here uh, in these situations. Uh, between 26 and 2012, um, uh, Alir sold its triage devices, which aid in the diagnosis of uh, acute coronary syndromes, heart failure, drug overdoses, and other serious conditions. 
the device is typically used in emergency departments where timely decisions have to be made on patient care. Allere was notified by numerous hospitals that certain devices produced erroneous results that created the potential for false positives and false negatives, and Allere then failed to undertake corrective actions until the FDA inspections prompted a nationwide product recall. Obviously, when you get complaints, uh, respond to them and make sure and address them. Okay, I wanted to turn to uh, the issue of opioid enforcement, which is a new area that the uh, Trump administration has uh, made a priority. In, and in terms of False Claims Act, it's even stretched into there. Um, the scope of our country's opioid ep epidemic, as we all read about, is devastating. Uh, from 1999 to 2017, more than 700,000 people have died from a drug overdose. overdose. Two-thirds of these deaths involved in opioid, and on average, uh, 195 Americans die every day from an opioid overdose. Uh, these numbers are tragic and really mind-boggling. In response, federal enforcement efforts have primarily focused on criminal prosecutions, but there have also been significant Civil False Claims Act prosecutions. Uh, since 2017, the Justice Department has charged uh, over 150 doctors with opioid-related uh, crimes. Uh, in June 2018, Attorney General Sessions announced the national health care fraud and opioid takedown resulting in the charging of 600 uh, individuals, including 76 doctors, 23 pharmacists, 19 nurses, and other medical personnel with more than $2 billion in Medicare, medical fraud. In the same month, the Justice Department announced the indictment of the CEO and four physicians uh, who were running a network of Michigan and Ohio pain clinics that engaged in a $200 million health care fraud scheme. The defendants were charged with conspiracy to commit health care fraud and wire fraud. Individual defendants were charged with health care fraud, conspiracy to defraud the United States, kickbacks, and money laundering. According to the indictment, the defendants engaged in the distribution of over 4.2 million, million medically unnecessary dosage units. 4.2 million medically unnecessary dosage units of controlled substances and medically unnecessary injections, including oxycodone, hydrocodone, and oxymorphone. The CEO paid the physicians based on the number of injections that Medicare paid for, regardless of the medical necessity of the injection. Medicare's review of the injection claims determined that all, 100%, that's an amazing fact in this case, of the claims were ineligible for Medicare reimbursement. Medicare terminated the enrollment of the pain clinics, but the CEO created new companies and re-enrolled into Medicare and resumed its illegal practices. The pain clinics were also linked to a laboratory that conducted unnecessary and ineligible drug testing. In a separate case, that's a, an amazing criminal case, but in a separate uh, False Claims Act civil prosecution, in April of this year, the United States intervened in five lawsuits against Insys Therapeutics in relation to the marketing of Subsys, an opioid painkiller and form of fentanyl, an addictive painkiller. The complaint alleges that Insys paid kickbacks to induce physicians and nurse practitioners to prescribe Subsys for their patients. The kickbacks took the form of speaker program speeches, 
to uh, to um, uh, physicians that were in fact shams, jobs for prescribers, relatives and friends, and lavish meals and entertainment. Insis also allegedly encouraged physicians to prescribe subsis for patients who did not have cancer and lied to insurers about patients' diagnosis in order to obtain reimbursement from Medicare and TRICARE beneficiaries. The government's investigation also resulted in criminal prosecutions of several officers and employees from INCES, some of which are still ongoing. In a separate and significant action, the Justice Department filed a statement of interest in a multi-district action uh, regarding hundreds of lawsuits against opioid manufacturers and distribution companies. The plaintiffs include numerous cities, municipalities, and medical institutions that have incurred significant costs of the prescription opioid crisis, and the federal government is seeking reimbursement of substantial costs incurred by federal health care programs from the opioid uh, epidemic. So as you can tell from this overview of uh, and False Claims Act risks and enforcement actions, government prosecution of healthcare companies for fraud, kickbacks, and other violations is an ever-present threat. Uh, healthcare compliance is a critical requirement in response to these risks, with a focus on auditing of coding and billing practices, privacy issues, relationships with third-party physicians, and many other risk areas. Please remember, if you need assistance in this area, my firm, the Volkoff Law Group, can assist you and your compliance team. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bolkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at Volkoff Law. Let us know how we can help you achieve.